0: Verse one, when Jesus had come down from the mountain where he gave the beatitude sermon, great multitudes followed him. So his disciples were up on the mountain with him and now these multitudes are waiting for him and they come and they gather around him. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one But go your way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded. And this is in Leviticus 13 and 14. Offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them, interestingly enough. And then I'm going to read this portion of Scripture. You don't have to turn there. It's 1 John 1, 9. Many of you are familiar with it. The Apostle John writes, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord, four verses. But today you ordained that it would be communion Sunday and walking in first service, Lord, I didn't even realize it was communion Sunday and to see how you orchestrated it in such a profound way. I pray, Lord, that these four verses would deeply impact us and profoundly change us and touch us as your love is made manifest today in our presence. We love you because you first loved us. And we thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, please be seated. So you have this picture of a man as Jesus comes down the mountain, having given this profound sermon. He comes down the mountain, the multitudes gather to him, all these people that want something from the Lord. They press in on him, and it's it's a great multitude. It's just not a multitude. It's a great multitude, meaning exponentially large. It's a crowd that they haven't seen in this region for quite some time, if it, if ever. And then it says, in the midst of this multitude, the, the, the author, Paul, or excuse me, Matthew, says, Behold, take, take a look at this. This is crazy. What do you see this? Behold, a leper came and worshipped him. So this leper passes through the crowd, and he comes and he worships Jesus, and he says to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, as we've read through this cursory reading of the first four verses, uh, okay, Jesus heals a guy. We know that he cleansed the lepers and the blind would see, the lame would walk, the deaf would hear, he'd raise the dead, he'd cast out demons. Uh, We we got that. Four verses, let's go on to something else, Pastor Rob. It's it's way more profound. It is one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in my estimation, and I pray it ministers to you today. And we're going to put it into context so that you can see how profound it is. The first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch. Matthew, Mark, or see, I'm just kidding you. (laughs) Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And and I I am no scholar in relation to this, but I've read books regarding it. And one of the fascinating things to me is the first two books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. In the Hebrew alphabet, every, every letter is attributed to a number. And you can calculate, and there's there's all kinds of things the way the scribes would write it. But one of the fascinating details is in the first two books, Genesis and Exodus, every 39th 39th verse, you would see the word Torah laid out in an acrostic. Torah is law. So the first two books of the Bible, every 39th verse, say law. Then you have Leviticus, which is the law, the Levitical law, 60 or 26, ver- uh, 26 chapters. And then you have Numbers and Deuteronomy. And Numbers and Deuteronomy do the same thing every 39 verses, but it's spelled backwards. Torah is spelled backwards to point up. The first two books point down. They both say law and they're pointing to Leviticus. <laughs> you got that? Now you have 26 chapters of Leviticus, the law. <laughs> In the 26 chapters of Leviticus, right in the middle, is one of the most unique, unequaled, ancient literature writings in the history of the world. For 61 verses, in the, 26th, in, 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 the in the 13th chapter of the 26 chapters, there is, from Leviticus 13 and 14, 61 verses dealing with leprosy. Nobody's amazed. Let's go home. First two books point to the law. Second two books point to the law. In the middle of the law, 61 verses describing leprosy. No other work of antiquity. doesn't make any sense. Why are you talking about leprosy? It goes through the the diagnosis of leprosy. It goes then into the, the offering that's to be given for someone who is cured of leprosy. And it is a profound picture right there. And and God took all this time, in the first five books of the Bible, pointing to the law of Leviticus, in the middle of the law of Leviticus, this description of leprosy, its conditions, and and then what happens when somebody's healed from it. And then in the history of, of the Bible, from Old Testament to New Testament, you have Miriam who contracts leprosy. And then you have one person who's healed of it, not even a Jew. His name is Naaman. He's a Syrian general. And, and Gehazi, who is the servant of Elisha, the, 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 the prophet, who was used of the Lord to heal Naaman in the Jordan as he dipped seven times. Gehazi, Elijah didn't want anything from Naaman, but Gehazi, being Elisha's servant, figured out a way to get some money out of him. He runs back and says, you know, actually Elisha did want some money. He gets some clothing and some gold from Naaman. Naaman's happy to give it because he's been healed of a deadly disease. And the minute he takes these things, Gehazi is contracted with leprosy, and he dies. One person's healed. It's a Gentile, not a Jew. And nowhere do we have any healing, so never in the history of Israel did anyone have to come back to the high priest and say, we have to apply Leviticus 13 and 14, because I need you to examine me, and now we got to do the offering. Never. God took all that time, points to the law, in the middle of the law, 61 verses pertaining to leprosy, nobody in the scriptures is healed, and you're looking at that going, what? Why? Now, does that make a little more sense? So you you look at this and you think, this is crazy. Now we come to Matthew chapter 8. Most profound sermon, Sermon on the Mount, we went through that in extensive detail. Jesus comes down into the multitudes. The multitudes is picturing the unwashed, the masses, humanity, society. And as he enters in, into this mass of people inundated with need. And they will press into him, as we're going to see through the remainder of chapter 8. Everybody's coming to get Jesus to do something for them. In the midst of this, this leper, behold, this leper comes in. Now, to give you a picture of a leper. Leprosy. I, I, I can't do a sermon without remembering my dad's little song. Leprosy. I'm not half the man I used to be. <laughs> not, very, not very kind, considering there are 5,000 people, estimated in the United States, is, that have leprosy. It's called Hansen's disease. There's 10 to 15 million people around the world that have leprosy. We haven't figured out a cure for leprosy, but we've figured out a way to arrest its symptoms and stave off the manifestation of the symptoms, but we haven't been able to cure the disease. Leprosy is, is an interesting disease. It deals with the neuropathways of the human body. And it attaches itself to the extremities, the hands and the feet, because those are the colder portions of our body. And it usually finds the cool spots of our body to infiltrate the body and attach itself to the neurotransmitters of our body. When it does, it deadens the, 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 the neuron or the neuropathways and you get what's called neuropathy. Anyone who has diabetes understands neuropathy. There's no feeling in your feet. My father-in-law is at a stage of diabetes, and if you get a wound on your foot, it can infect quickly, and you don't even know how bad it is, because you don't feel any pain. You don't feel any pain. You don't feel any pain. What it does is it, it manifests itself under the skin with a little spot, and then that spot remains under the skin, and, and the length of life for somebody with leprosy, Hansen's disease at this stage in, our, in the history of the world was anywhere from 2 to 20 years, but the average lifespan was 9 years. And the other texts say that, that the disease had fully manifested itself, and so what happens at that stage is a neuropathy has brought such deadening of pain that somebody would step on a nail and they wouldn't know it, and the infection would rot their foot. They would put their hand on a hot plate while they're leaning and not realize, what does that smell? and It's their hand burning. And then the infection would set in, so, so the, they, they, would, they, would, they would chew their tongue, they would chew their, their cheek, they, they'd bite their lip, they wouldn't even know because they have no feeling. It's gone. So they'd be mauled and their, their, their fingers would be missing, infection would be rank and the disease would manifest itself and the stench of, of flesh dying would, would permeate to the point where they say you had to keep six meters in the Levitical law, six meters from anyone with leprosy not to contract it. But you could tell someone with leprosy from hundred meters away, writers declare, because the stench was so profound that you could smell it. It's, it's much like anyone who's ever had a two-year-old and you've had a party at your house and they come into the room with a dirty diaper. And it's Moses parting the Red Sea. Just oh. Ugh. And it's that stench that gets up into the nostrils, you can't get out. You're You know when you're driving on I-5 and you go through Couchwitz? it's just i didn't know any other way to describe that that smell and it's right past the in and out burger so you're like oh i just lost business for them and 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 that smell just permeates well this this is the, behold i mean he is parting the multitudes and he goes right up to worship jesus and as he goes up to worship him he is inundated with this disease his fingers are missing his face is deformed His flesh is rotting, he's dying, and he's rotting. And as a result of the disease, when the priest would diagnose you, out of Leviticus 13, diagnose you with the disease, you'd be cast out of the camp. You'd have to live outside of society, and you would be banished. If you've ever been to Hawaii, you go to Molokai. Molokai is the island where they had the lepers. You're banished. You're banished from your family, from society, from friends, and you're only allowed to remain with those that have the same disease. You don't get to go to your children's birthday parties. You don't get to be by the bedside of your parents as they're dying. You don't get to watch them graduate. Sound familiar? That's what drugs do in our culture to fathers and mothers. Sin manifests itself where we're removed from the family because we can't afford to have them near us because every time they come in, the stench of their life ruins the family and can infect everyone around They've drained the family of resources. They've alienated them from the rest of the community because there isn't enough resources in the family to try to fix this. It's intrinsic and they're dying. And this is a picture very clearly in the Old Testament of sin. It's a typology. It's a picture of sin. The law points down and up to Leviticus. The scriptures point down and up to Leviticus, the law. The law declares that we can't keep it. And we've sinned, missing the mark, failing to keep the law. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all infected. And the interesting thing about the law, we know it's good. And those things we want to do, we don't do. And we run for the things we're not supposed to run for because we don't want pain. We don't want pain. We want the pain to go away. And what happens is, in relation to sin and this typology of leprosy, is that we see ourselves manifested that in our failure to honor what God desires, we're alienated from society. We're in the Western world, a, a, a society of laws. And we're to keep them that we can dwell together. But when we reject those, we're put outside society. We live in the fringes. Our family can't put up with us. Anyone who's ever had a drug-addicted child knows that these rehab clinics drain you. Rehab clinics can diagnose the symptom, but they can't cure it. In some cases they can, but it's far deeper. It's at the heart. And God uses this picture of leprosy and this picture of healing right after the Sermon on the Mount for the multitudes to hear, and that's us today. You say, well, there's no leprosy colonies anywhere in America anymore. There was one in Louisiana, but I don't think it exists anymore. But there are leprosy clinics in America. they are they're called rehab centers, and everywhere we go where we're struggling with sin, we're all dying, and it manifests itself in alienation from those we love. I was intrigued by a book written by a man who had practiced medicine for over 50 years, and I was told about this in the last service. First service didn't get this. The last service, a uh, a doctor from UCLA came up to me, a young man, and he said, have you read this book by Dr. Paul Brand? I said, no, and I was so intrigued I went up immediately and just started reading the book. I downloaded it and started reading it. Let me just read this to you, A World Without Pain. A World Without Pain. Isn't that why we try to numb ourselves? So we seek a world without pain. Does such a place exist? And we saw in the preview that a place like that doesn't exist. Well, it does. A world without pain does exist. It not only does, it not only can exist, it does exist. It's no utopia, though. It's a colony of leprosy patients, a world where people literally feel no pain and reap horrifying consequences. Dr. Paul Brand's work with leprosy patients in India and in the United States convict, convinced Dr. Paul Brand that pain is one of God's great gifts to us. In this inspiring story of his 50-plus career as a healer, Dr. Brand probes the mystery of pain and reveals its importance as an indicator that lets us know something is wrong. Pain has a value that becomes clearest in its absence. It is a gift that none of us want and none of us can do without. The book is called The Gift of Pain by Dr. Paul Brand. You can read it. I've been doing it. You see, we want to avoid pain, and so we numb ourselves. We have a heroin epidemic if you haven't been noticing. We want to avoid pain. What is pain? Pain is outside the confines of what God desires. Pain is relational. Pain is hurt. How do we resolve it? We realize we failed to keep the law. The law is pointing to Leviticus, and we're poisoned by leprosy in the middle of it all. That's us. And what God wants us to see, and he he depicted it in the first five books of the Old Testament, and he revisits it here as Jesus enters into the multitudes and this man parts the Red Sea of, multi, of not just multitude, great multitude, parts the Red Sea, behold, and he walks in and the first thing he does, this stench, rotten human being, the first thing he does is he worships. What is worship? People do this when they sing. Worship, it's the international sign of surrender. Help me, God. Help me. I've been trying to numb it and run from you. I'm outside the camp. Every relationship I have has been affected. Help me. I'm rotting. I'm dying. I'm lonely. I'm burdened. I'm sad. Help me. Nobody wants anything to do with them. They've parted. Jesus didn't move. And what's so amazing to me is the way he says it. It's one of the most pathetic prayers I've ever read. He's so overwhelmed by the manifestation of this painless disease. Painless in the extremities, but not the soul. He says, Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean. I, I I love the King James and the New King James Version. I don't think they nailed that as clearly as we can. I love voice translation of it. He says, Lord, if you have a heartfelt desire, Lord, if, Lord, if you love me, I know you can, but why would you? Lord, I know you can, but why would you? Nobody wants anything to do with me. Why would you? What a pathetic prayer. But the prayer follows worship. You see, we're content to live outside the camp in a pain-free utopia. Outside of the law, writing our own rules and playing by our own rules, numbing ourselves to the responsibilities of life and what is required in relationship, submission to God. And we're rotting. And it's not until you get to a place where you're sick of it. My prayer for the young man that went to Texas, I don't think that the program's gonna bring him to the end of himself, but I got news for you, God can do anything. I was talking to a gentleman in our fellowship whose daughter had gone through every rehab clinic imaginable and it was that aha moment where she's shooting up heroin in a bathroom in a dirty nightclub in Hollywood and just realizes, what am I doing? The question is, what's it gonna take to be able to embrace pain and not run from it? Pain comes when we accept responsibility. Pain comes when we're willing to do what God desires. And you have to come to a place where you realize I may be in this quote unquote pain free utopia, but I'm rotting and dying. And I don't have a friend in the world. And after a while, the sources dry up because nobody wants to enable you anymore. See, society requires that we work and we build families. And we participate in community events, even though it's something I'm not looking forward to. I might have to face pain. I would like to avoid that and build my enclave and my wall and not engage. But those are folks in the multitudes. And pain is part of life, it's what we do as human beings. And God gives us the strength in the midst of it and he gives a purpose to it. In a fallen world where sin has manifested itself and we're all infected and we're all rotting. Some of you say, not me. Well, if we take a look at the typology of leprosy, it's under the skin right now in the cool places where you're kind of hip and you're okay with that. And it's, It's no longer graphic violence. It's now entertainment. It's no longer the death of a child. It's a choice. You become numb. You're deadened. Your sensitivities are no longer shocked. You no longer feel pain for the innocent. It's all about you. Everyone else is being infected by your selfishness. And I look at you and I don't see the symptoms. I'm no priest. I can't see the spot on your finger. You you wear a glove or, or it's hidden somewhere in the extremities that are cool. And usually when those are exposed, it's not in church. And you go through life and you try to manage this and keep it under wraps and you, you, And it begins to take over your body and desensitize you, and after a while, you, we start to see the stench as your physical stature starts to be affected by the chemicals. and this young, vibrant man is now yellowed in his eyes, and his face is swollen from the destruction of his organs. It starts to manifest itself as, where's your spouse? We're at odds. Where's your children? You lost your job. You can't hide it anymore. And everybody sends to part. And you're hiding the pain by drinking and drugging and doing whatever it is. This is a picture I can diagnose it, and you can diagnose it in my life. But I can't heal it, and neither can you. Pastor, I, I need your help. No, <laughs> you need to worship, you need to surrender. Pastor, I, I, I really need you to help me. I, I'm, I'm in a hotel, and I got to. No, no. I can deal with a symptom, but you got a problem. The disease is yours. You want me to cover the pain with a quick fix. But you're dying. Is the Motel 8 not gutter enough? How far do we have to fall? You see, this man was willing to part a sea of humanity and be humiliated as long as he could worship and say, God, I surrender. And then he recognized as he saw his hands raised in the air with his fingers missing and the swelling and the stench and seeing the disgust of the people around him. And he looked into the eyes of his Savior and he just simply said to him, Lord, I know you can, but I have no idea why you would. Lord, if you have a heartfelt desire, if you love me, save me. I think verse 3 is one of the most touching passages in all the Bible. Because, as we're going to see in the remainder of chapter 8, Jesus heals a centurion servant by speaking the word from a distance, and he's healed. Jesus said to the raging sea of Galilee, peace be still. God spoke in Genesis, light be, light was. When he speaks, it's alive, it's living, it's breathing, it it transforms. Universes are created by a spoken word. The man said, if you love me, if you're willing, is there a desire in your heart? I know you can, but I have no idea why you would. And Jesus could have said, be healed. But in the midst of this crowd, this priest in the order of Melchizedek, who would defile himself, says in verse 3, Jesus put out his hand and touched him. That was probably the first time he'd ever been touched since the inception of the disease. He had gone to Caiaphas, a high priest, because the disease had manifested itself, and he was outside the camp. He had had to go to Caiaphas, a high priest, and be diagnosed with the disease, and then be outcast. Everyone knew he had it. The temple knew he wasn't permitted. Everyone in the neighborhood where his family lived realized he was not permitted. And yet Jesus touched him. He put out his hand and he touched him. There's something powerful about a hug and human touch. I remember one time I hugged a guy named Bill Fleming. I'd met him at a Bob's Big Boy when my partner in a house that we were building, we were praying for an electrician at the coffee bar at the Bob's Big Boy. We were out of money. And this big brawny man that just smelled so vile and stale cigarettes and stench like you can imagine. He just awful, his clothes, he just, he smelled so vile. I had my back to him just trying to listen to Max as he was talking and we were praying and we just said, God, would you send us an electrician? And this guy taking the last drag of this camelless or this filterless camel cigarette as it's burning his fingertips goes, I'm an electrician. And his teeth were yellowed and stained. And I just kinda of thought, Lord, you got anybody else? <laughs> Came to find out the story of Bill Fleming's life and how he had been on a, a river boat in the Danang Delta and a young man who was a Christian that he had picked on for the entire time. He was stationed on board the boat, had saved his life, and would have blown up by a percussion grenade and saved Bill's life. And he had the shrapnel in his leg as a result of it. And he just realized everything he'd ever done to that kid, spit in his food and throw his boots overboard, and all the stuff that they did as he was stuck on this river boat with a small group of men, and they made his life a living hell. And they'd mock him for being a Christian. And the man saved his life, and Bill said, I can't get his face out of my mind when he was blown to smith- smithereens. And this would this would trouble him and traumatize him to the point where Bill would be up in the hills of Ukaipa with a gun to his mouth, waiting to commit suicide, trying to in this Volkswagen. He just said, I'm going back down to that house where those two guys are, and if this love is real and what they're talking about is sincere, I'll give you one last chance, God. I remember hugging Bill. And I think this is why verse three touches me so much. He smelled so bad. I just remember I was just in there, just getting in there, just hugging him. And I, was, I was, gave the three taps that men give. I'm not gay, you know. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to let go. And he won't let go and he's holding me, and he's a big bear of a man. He's holding me, and I, oh, <laughs> and he's just hugging me, just, and I, I just started uh, crying as he was sobbing, and I know what death smells like, and I know when life enters. He became the director of the Madera Rescue Mission, remarried his whole life, Blessed by the Lord. And this idea of a touch, Jesus didn't have to do it, but he did. And I love how Jesus responded. When the man said, Lord, if you have a heartfelt desire, if you love me, I know you can, but will you? He says, Lord, I know you can, but I I don't know why you would. And Jesus' response, the scripture says, I am willing, be cleansed. But again, I like voice translation. It's so profound. He says, I desire it with all my heart. I've always wanted this day. I was looking forward to this day when I had the scribe pen the first five books of the Bible, and I put you right in the middle. I was looking forward to this day when I was born of a virgin, And I've been through the wilderness and I've been tempted and was without sin and I've been tried in every way and I've been looking forward to this day. You have no idea. I desire this with all my heart. This is why I came. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I came for you and I love you. I'm especially fond of you. And the scripture says, that when he cited these words, be cleansed, it says immediately, the idea is, boom, he was cleansed. The word cleanse is, is where we, we, we get the Greek word kathar, katharizo, where we get cauterized, where a wound is, is burned and the infection is removed. It's seared. And, and he's, he's cleansed. And and as he's, he's touching his hand, And he says, I desire it with all my heart. His lips come back, his face, his skin. And not only are his fingers back, but he can feel the hand of Jesus and the pain of all of his sin in the eyes of the Lord who's cleansed him. It makes sense. He's so touched and he's completely made whole. And I love this part. Jesus says to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way. The other accounts say that he went and told everyone. (laughs) I get a kick out of that because it's our human nature. Jesus says, don't tell anyone. We tell everyone. Jesus says, Tell everyone. We don't tell anybody. (laughs) But then he adds this that brings the whole message Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Right here, as those were written, Christ appears, Sermon on the Mount, multitudes part. Leprosy healed, first time, history of Israel. He says, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded in the middle of the 26 chapters, chapter 13, 14. Go, show them, give that gift as a testimony to them. Caiaphas, who's going to, Brutalize and beat me and be instrumental in me being crucified, Jesus says, go testify to him. Of of the 61 defilements listed in the Talmud, death being the worst, the second worst to be defiled by is leprosy, completely cleansed. And as he goes to tell the priest, there hadn't been a priest in the history of Israel that had ever applied Leviticus 13 and 14. He goes and finds Caiaphas and he says, I've been healed. Do you remember me? Years ago, I came in. And my mother and my father are such and such, Moisha and, you know, Hannah and, 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 and you, and I was a young boy. And then you, and I, and then you, you passed by me and remember, and then I had to stay out there and I couldn't come to the, no, not, yes, it's me. I, I have my paper. I'll show you. Caiaphas is stunned. Caiaphas who's plotting to kill Jesus, Caiaphas who doesn't want anything to do with him, Caiaphas who is stunned. Caiaphas sees this man healed and he begins to do his priestly duty and he he searches through the scriptures. Where is that? Yes, yes, uh, Leviticus. This is what you speak of? Yes, I think, I don't know, he told me to come. But I remember you used Leviticus 13 to kick me out of the camp. Yes, 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 I did. And he opens up of the five books, 26 chapters in the middle, finds 14, opens it up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall go out of the camp. The priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take him who is to be cleansed, two living clean birds cedar wood, scarlet, hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over living or running water. As the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water, And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who has been cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and let the living bird loose in an open field. Hmm. Paul wrote in Ephesians, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with him in Christ Jesus for by grace you've been saved you see when Jesus touches us he's not infected with our diseases we're filled with his righteousness now that being true he did bear our iniquities as he would write later in Matthew 8 Jesus would quote out of psalm 50 or excuse me Isaiah 53 Matthew writes that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying he, took, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Two birds, Caiaphas gets them. One is killed. And the cedar wood, the cross, and the scarlet thread of redemption of the blood of Christ, and the hyssop, which cleanses us of all unrighteousness is mixed with the blood of the bird poured over the living bird and sprinkled on the leper seven times the number of completion. This bird dies and that one is set free. This one is crushed and this one lives. I didn't prepare this today. But everybody has leprosy. And the picture, the typography of Leviticus 14, that Caiaphas was shaking when he saw it. And later when he would see the Messiah crucified. In Isaiah 53, that he was bruised and he was crushed for our iniquities. As he held that bird in his hand that died and the blood was sprinkled and the other one was set free to fly. This one would die and that would fly. And here we are. We're numb. Our extremities are cold. We're outside the camp. We're avoiding pain. We want the utopia of a pain-free life. It doesn't exist only in a leper colony. And we're rotting and we're dying, and there's only one remedy. I can diagnose it. But only the crushed bird can heal you. Only the bruised Savior, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed for the remission, the forgiveness, the cleansing of our sin. His body broken, His blood shed to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know... At that point, Caiaphas realized that the healer of mankind was on the earth. He had never seen a leopard healed, nor had any priest. I think we complicate the gospel a little too much. I think it's real simple. you don't run from from pain. You find Christ in the midst of it. There's a purpose to it in the life of a believer. For those of you who are on Molokai or in the leper colony, stepping on nails and burning your hands and feeling nothing. Have you had enough yet? Because the remedy is to come and say, help me. Save me. I'm lonely. I'm sick. I'm sad. I'm overwhelmed. I'm dying. I miss people. Nobody hugs me. Help me. God, I will embrace the pain and be acquainted with your suffering. But I need your healing. I, Rob McCoy, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I don't want to go today. But Rob's not going, Jesus is. And maybe there'll be an insult Maybe there'll be a jab. I don't know. But it's not about me. And he's come to set us free. He was crushed that we could fly. He was broken that we might live. But the healing comes when you say, I surrender. Quit numbing it. Embrace it. Confess it. Take responsibility for it. Mend it. Endeavor through it. Quit running from it. This is life. And this is the healing. Everybody has broken the law. We're all lepers. And when we worship, we're set free from the law of sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus as we fly because he was the one willing to die. Communion today is real simple. Don't run from the pain. Come to it. Come to the place where he has covered your sin and given you a new lease on life to take ownership and responsibility to be an effectual part of helping others through life instead of numbing yourself. God wants to powerfully transform us because He's willing. he was willing to die that we could fly and have life and life more abundant. I'll leave you with this last thought. Would you pull up that picture? Do we have it back there? This is going to gross you out a little bit. Many people think his name is John Merrick. It's actually Joseph Merrick. He's the man they call the elephant man. He died in 1890. He died at 27 years of age. When he was born in a time where there was a great awakening in England, his mother was a Sunday school teacher and taught him how to read and loved him. She died. The father remarried and the stepmother hated him. They kicked him out of the house. He ended up in a workhouse. And they kicked him out because he could no longer roll cigars because his hands became so swollen with this disease. So the only place he could find work was in a circus where they would mock him and ridicule him and spit on him. And he'd been so heavily beaten that his ribs had been broken. And as a freak show across the street from the London hospital, a physician was drawn to the crowds as the curtain was pulled. He was shocked and astonished at what he saw before him. And this man loved the Lord, and he stepped into his life. It's a movie called The Elephant Man. It's old. It was done with Anthony Hopkins and Ann Bancroft. He loved him, brought him into the hospital and cared for him, and he became the concern of the Christian Women's Society in the community. They would get him to be able to travel out to the country regions to experience things he'd never seen before, an open field and flowers. He was a a precious man who loved the Lord. But no one had ever taken time to look past that, like Jesus did when the man came through the multitudes. He would sleep standing up with his knees up and his arms folded on his legs because his head was so heavy. And he ended up dying at the age of 27 because he just wanted to sleep like everyone else did, lying down. And he was asphyxiated, his neck broke. That's you and that's me. God has a plan he's come to heal us and set us free. And he who has been forgiven much will love much. Own it. Don't run from the pain. Own it. And watch how God uses you as he heals you, that you will testify to a Caiaphas, the high priest. And there's no powerful testimony. As I look at a room of people that once were infected with leprosy, and now they have family. the warmth of a human touch because God did that. Come to the table and find a family as you find healing. Come and worship. Embrace the pain and watch as God lets you fly. Amen. Let's pray and I'll invite the worship team up. Lord, thank you for your word and we thank you, God, for the picture of this leper. Four verses that we can easily read past in our morning devotion with our cup of coffee or tea and not see the significance that this is the center, center theme of the first five books of the Old Testament. And that Jesus, from the dawn of time, you look to that day where you said, I desire it with all my heart. That's why you came. You love us. In the midst of our sin, you come to allow us the strength to embrace the pain. We can no longer run from it and be destroyed by it. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen all who would come to the table this day to realize that this table was brought to us by pain, that you suffered in our place that we might be able to live. You were the bird that was crushed so that we might fly. God, thank you. As we take this communion, we do it in gratitude, remembrance, and worship, surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.